0: Hey Travelers, this is a trigger warning that this episode contains violence related to murder and other topics. So if it's not for you, this might be one you want to
1: skip. I'm author Mark Munsey. And I'm author Erica Lance. And this is Eerie Travels. Greetings, Travelers
0: greetings travelers
1: oh oh that was that was that was a little scary yeah well today is a spooky episode it kind of is yeah yeah that we were uh you know it's we're taking a little detour on our road to mothman so road to mothman but uh but we we kind of thought we had to get this one out of the way because it's been has been nibbling at us for a little while. So well,
0: that and you know, um, we've done so much traveling. This is a little one we're throwing in between all of our traveling. We got a couple more traveling episodes coming up. I think the next three are actually traveling episodes because of all the stuff we're doing. So, yeah. um, road roads to everywhere. But um, we have breaking news. Actually, we do. Yes. So, I have breaking news. Mine is less fun, but kind of goes along with the theme of the day. And then okay, yes, um, so I'm gonna actually let you go first with your breaking news.
1: I' say because well, we both have breaking news, which is great. Uh, so this one comes from our good friends at Paranormality magazine. uh and um they ha- have what one of the creatures or one of the legends in my new book comes from of uh, South Carolina and um our neighboring state and uh, uh island has long had this ghostly legend than we joked about it before where the town kind of embraces it of the enigmatic gray man and yes. the headline is mysterious figures spotted on Polly's island sparks speculation about the gray man imagine that and uh, so they uh Gray Man Ghost goes all the way back to 1822, and he appears just before impending hurricanes. And he major storms like Hurricane Hazel, 1954, Hurricane Hugo, 1989, Hurricane Florence in 2018. And then this week, someone took a photograph out there and got a hazy figure. And you can see this report. We'll put the links in the show notes. But if you go to paranormalitymagazine.com, you can see the story and you can read all about it. And this one actually made ABC News. So wow. uh, pretty epic. And uh, you can see that photo there. And if you do order a subscription while right you're there, use the code TRAVELS, get yourself 10% off. Wow. Wow. Well,
0: wow what's wow. your story? So mine is not as pleasant and it this actually broke a few days ago, but um, there is uh, an escaped killer by the name of Dan Danilo Cavalcanti, I think is how his name is spelled. Mm. So he, um, literally in Chester County Prison walked out of the jail,
1: yeah, in uh, September, uh, Labor Day weekend,
0: yeah, yep, just walked out. and um so the problem is is this is a uh, he's got a long story i put a link to the whole thing in the um uh show notes but he and there's also been photos of him on trail cameras and stuff like that so yay technology but he literally just he's a vicious killer vicious Mm -hmm. they actually he's not even convicted of all the crimes they think he's guilty of Right. But he literally walked out of the prison.
1: He's already been sentenced, you know, to life. He's never getting out. So what was to stop him?
0: Yeah, yeah. and yeah. there was nothing to lose. Nothing so they were on day seven. They've actually closed the schools and stuff up in that area. Yeah. Um, the link I'm sharing is from the Philadelphia Inquirer because of how dangerous they think he is.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, nothing to lose. So again, yeah, check out the link uh and um we're not sure by the time this airs if he will have been captured yet or not one Fingers would hope crossed. one would hope but uh you know manhunt sometimes can take a long time as we have as the news has shown us many a time um and uh yeah so definitely stay safe out there gang stay safe yes, out there.
0: stay safe um but today's episode we're going to talk about something that um you know, I'm a big fan of true crime, not of crimes happening, no, but no. Um, it's one of the things that um, interests me. And um,
1: yeah, the there investigations, are a couple speculations and, yeah. and all that. Yeah.
0: But there are a couple of cases and we're not going to cover all of them with this, but there are a couple of cases me and you've talked about a lot, which is where the boogeyman is actually real.
1: Yeah, or as real as he can be. Yeah, and that's that's what this may you know this the other guy walking out of prison. This could easily turn into a folktale, you know, ten years down the line or even less, you know, at the rate folklore generates nowadays. Um, I want to talk about one that kind of came to rise way back in the '60s, but you know, was made famous. And uh, by a film that came about, and uh, the film was what was it? It was in the uh, two thousand eight. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, but so, we should clarify for everybody what is a boogeyman. All right, yeah. So let's let's start there. So yeah. a boogeyman is you know it goes to the term booger, it goes to the term bogey, which are old Irish, Gaelic, Scottish you know terms for uh, a hunt or a fae, or, you know, some sort of creature that will get you. And And it's
0: um, it's used generally to scare children into behaving well.
1: Right, right. You know, eat your greens or the boogeyman will get you, you know, don't, don't, don't get up at night. Don't get out of bed once we put you to bed because boogeyman will get you, you know, you know, don't go into that old haunted house because, you know, the booger lives there, you know, that sort of thing. So. And that's, you know, and, and it was, these were things to keep you safe, right? This was, somebody went in there and got hurt. So now we tell you this story so you don't do it yourself, you know? And yes. a lot of the times these were based on somebody got hurt or somebody got murdered, you know? So mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or worse, so- yeah, which is hard to say because that was always one of my favorite things in the Batman 66. Somebody said... Batman we could have been killed and he looks at Robin and goes or worse
0: (laughs) no exactly well so let's talk a little bit about the boogeyman right and your boogeyman because you introduced me to this boogeyman and your boogeyman's name is
1: Cropsey 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 from Staten Island and he is the classic hook man horror You know, you go and you, uh, you know, it was originally told in Boy Scout camps in the area. And he was the, you know, you go park or go near there as a teenager. There's always some teenagers went there or some Boy Scouts got too close to the Willowbrook School, which was this old, um, you know, they call it the Willowbrook School, but it was actually a hospital for Kids with developmental deficiencies you know down syndrome other things like that um but the story was always you know that guy with the hook was coming to get you he lives in the woods and then there was always some you know there's always some version of it where you know he killed his family in some grisly fashion was put away at one of the nearby you know mental hospitals and he escaped and they all talk about oh willowbrook's mental hospital well Kinda, kinda not, um, but you know, if you're gonna, you know, you're you're running a Boy Scout camp next to that, you work with what you have when you're telling your story. And this guy was Cropsy, and he would come and he would, you know, grab you with one hand while he's, you know, trying to, you know, grab your car with the other and stuff like that. It was, you know, and then you would drive away and there would be the hook, you know, hanging on the side of the door. And then it was, oh, we lived in the tunnels under the school because the school, Willowbrook School, had been abandoned for, you know, generations. And, you know, and anybody who moves to Staten Island, now, Staten Island was kind of the forgotten island in New York. It's the forgotten borough, right? It's yeah. the, It's the suburb that, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty swampy. It was pretty terrible. This is where the mob hit a lot of bodies. Uh, literally, they still don't know how many are buried there and um and you know you would drive down route 22 and you pass uh, another hospital there called the Wingate and um and that was you know it was run by the New York Department of Mental Hygiene and that was you know oh, he'd be in your rearview mirror he'd be there and um and you know this, there was one story where you killed gas attendants and he would don their uniforms so he'd pump your gas and then attack you. So that's like why suddenly self-pump became a thing there before anywhere else. <laughs> so uh so you know, Staten Island had, you know, the New York farm colony, which is where you know, people who were it was what we would call a poor farm, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, not not pleasant names to these places. Warning now, folks, these are bad terms and they are dated the Seaview Hospital, which was a tuberculosis ward. And uh, that was also right near Willowbrook. So there's literally acres and acres and acres of these crumbling old hospitals right around a Boy Scout camp. So yeah, <laughs> that's where these things come. And then, of course, is- our wonderful friend the 80s and the Satanic Panic comes around, and it's all right there because Willowbrook was where the devil worshippers had black masses and had makeshift altars in the ruins and all that so
0: yeah then one of the things we should and there's a documentary we're going to link it in there on Cropsey but I think one of the things that makes this story really terrible is you know you had these terrible things that happened that you know propagated this story and like the the mental health hospital and things like that, where all the funding went away from the mental health hospital, but there were more patients. I mean, at one point you said, what is it supposed to have like 2,000 patients and ended up with
1: 10,000 or something? 10,000, yeah. And um, and in 1972, there was a doctor who worked at Willowbrook and he was so upset about the conditions that he slips a key to a young reporter named Geraldo Rivera and says, you got to film this. And so Geraldo sneaks in and films what he sees there and shows it to the world. And it's, you know, patients living in filth and they're just children, half of them are naked. And there's, you know, literally is, you know, no staff, hardly at all, because the budget's gone. And most of them are just untrained folks trying to help, or worse, taking advantage of the people that are there because you know, they weren't really doing diligent. Background checks, you know. You know like
0: they, people would just get dumped
1: there. Yeah, like, and that then, was the thing. Like I said, the would... employees, some of them were terrible, and that's where Cropsy shows up, right? Uh, the real Cropsy, and this is, like I said, the subject of that documentary, and uh, from 2008, and you know, the school had been around since the 1930s, and there was a guy there who was gosh what was he hired as he was hired as a um a a custodian yes he had taken the name of and andrew rand uh which you know or andre rand andre rand sorry andrew rand's from bioshock andre rand and uh that wasn't even his real name but there was no checking back of it, right? You know, this yeah. is back then, this is the 70s. His real name was Frank rashan and and he was already had been convicted of a couple crimes, and somehow he's able to hide all this and gets there as a custodian, and then yeah. he does some terrible things, or does he? That's the point of the documentary. Is it It kind of looks like he fits the bill. He's done all the things, but the evidence is very thin. Uh, you know, there is no physical evidence, but they do start finding bodies, but then they realize there's all these kids disappearing in the area, like lots and lots of children have disappeared over the years and they all tie it in to this one guy. And, um, The first was uh, a five-year-old girl named Alice Pereira, and that was in July of 1972. She literally just vanishes into thin air, playing in her neighborhood, which is right near Willowbrook. And Rand had already served months in prison for abducting children. and And he was never convicted for kidnapping or abduction because none of the kids were harmed for that, but he did serve time for unlawful imprisonment. That was why he only did 10 months. Yeah. Uh, But then while he was free, she goes missing. And so they consider him a prime suspect, but there was never evidence and the girl's never seen again. And it isn't until 1981 Holly Ann Hughes goes missing and her parents file a missing persons report. And several people said they saw her with Rand right before her disappearance. Yeah. Again, though, no evidence, no arrest, just a few witness reports. Two more years pass, and he's the primary suspect again, uh, when a little 11-year-old girl named Tia Jackson disappears. And then, you know, so, and then in 1984, a 21-year-old named Hank Gafforio vanishes. And he was, but had the mental state of a nine-year-old. And since nobody's being apprehended, everybody's panicking now. It's, you know, this is crazy. And it's not till three years after that, that they finally get the break. And a young girl named Jennifer Schweiger 12 years old. Uh, with down syndrome she's reported missing july 9th 87 and they searched for her and 35 days after her missing is when they finally found her body
0: yeah and one of the things i think it's important to state sort of here and as part of this right is that um we're talking about people who um they didn't look into a lot of these crimes really. Right. That wasn't a thing they were doing. They didn't look into them. So they didn't even, um, uh, like the last crime was the one that any attention, cause their parents really started screaming.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it finally got attention and it brought attention to these older cases and, exactly. you know, they start putting two and two together. And exactly. it was, it's literally was the one of the volunteers that was yeah and it was the police that had already searched this area a hundred times and then suddenly they find the foot and one of the volunteers like you know it's he said it was someone that stuck with him the rest of his life that you know he found that foot and um and now he had already, rand had already been arrested because before the corpse was discovered because he was caught lying to reporters about having never met the girl, but he had already made statements to the police and other people had made statements to the police. And suddenly he heard about all these individual accusations. So he had to change his entire story for his defense. Yeah. You know, and that's what actually got him into trouble.
0: And one of the things when he got arrested, right. Cause they are, there's a lot touched on and that's why we had a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode um there's a lot touched on regarding um uh people who had uh potentially disabilities things like that because all of this was around the fact that there really wasn't care for people like this and then when he got arrested the the mugshot of him looked like they had arrested somebody with disabilities and stuff yeah, like they just so randomly, randomly chosen
1: a, somebody. Yeah, he had like he was in some catatonic state and it looked like, oh, they're just this guy's a convenient drifter. You know, he used to work at the insane asylum and all this. Um and that's you know the documentaries kind of goes into that where they're trying to talk to him because it's that they are filming this during his trial uh because now he got arrested for her for kidnapping in 1988 but the jury did not convict him of murder they could not prove that because he because did. they didn't
0: have a body
1: well they had first. the body on her but they still couldn't convict of murder so oh
0: if i recall sorry if i recall correctly part of it was because they had no evidence linking him to the murder
1: no 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 evidence linking him to the body yeah exactly yeah. just a couple witnesses had seen him with her so you know witness statements not you know concrete evidence a lot of the time, but in this case it was enough, and um, and he went away. And so you know there's no statute of limitations for kidnapping. There are statutes limitations for other things, so that's why he was able. They were able to charge him again twenty years later for one of the previous ones, where they finally were able to put two and two together and put him at the scene because one of the witnesses finally came forward and said, Oh yeah, I did. He tried to lure us in with candy and uh, it was a little girl then, but now she's all grown up. And that was one of the ones that the, the movie, you know, the, the documentary really focuses on is because all we're relying on is the word of this one kid who's now grown up, you know, and she said he was wearing a mask. Well, how do you know it was him? And the defense was like, this is bogus. They just don't want him out because he was due for parole from that original one again where they couldn't convict him of murder and so he was given an additional 25 years and but you know so now they're all like well staten island boogeyman is in jail right so yeah and so they now what's weird about this is he he started writing uh and he would write letter. you know, people would ask to interview him and people still do. He's still in jail. He is still alive. Um, and people are trying, you know, he is up for parole again in 2037. If he lives that long, he'll be 93. Um, But uh, he sent letters um, directed, um, usually on Mother's Day, written to all the ladies on Staten Island who supported prosecutorial vindictiveness against this innocent person? Uh, yeah, and then he would. And one of his quotes is: "Should I become a millionaire, it would be my true nature to grant all of you with each an envelope full of seeds to plant and cultivate a rose bush that produces roses every season as a token of my heartfelt forgiveness, rather than bouquets of rosebuds which blossom and shortly die out." So. That's pretty crazy, right? It's so crazy. Yeah. And then he would like say, yeah, come interview me. Come interview me. And then when you get there, he's like, oh, change my mind. Don't want to talk to you. And here's my manifesto. And that
0: is the thing is that there is a degree of warped thinking, you know, with this human but he seems very highly intelligent about his methodology. And when you you watch the documentary, you definitely go into the background of this particular creeper, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, his grifter status and all of that. And this was, I feel like, having researched and watched the documentary and everything like that, this was another one of those cases where the victims were ignored. Not enough was done caring about the victims to even get it started to do a correct way to find this boogeyman who in the night was going and finding children, right, with um disabilities or other abilities, one could say, right, mm-hmm. that were unable to care for themselves. And what's scariest is the reason he was
1: doing this. Oh yeah. He, you know, it, it seems like now we're still not sure. He hasn't said a word about any of this. You know, he's, he's never.
0: But he does talk about it a little bit in some of the letters he's written. And he talked about it. I forget with who, but there was another time he talked about that if somebody was doing this, it was because these children were not being cared
1: for. Right. Yeah. that, That, that since Willowbrook had closed and there was nowhere to take care of these kids nowhere to put them away. He was saving them from a worse life, you know, ahead of them, and all this, uh, or someone would have been saving them from worse life. He was very careful in his wording. Um, and then um, the one lady who's the volunteer from the documentary, she's still around. Uh, Donna Tugno, I believe is her name. Uh, she calls him the Hannibal Lecter of Staten Island, and she still leads that Friends of Jennifer group for missing children. Uh, and they are a bunch of volunteers that still search Willowbrook's, what, 300 plus acres twice a year, because they're still looking for the other bodies. Yeah. Uh, and they, they really, really, really want to do this. And and they talk about how he's still haunting them to this day. And, you know, did he do all this? It seems like he's definitely capable of doing it. They've tied him so much he lived in the apartment complex where the original girl disappeared and all this stuff. And then once he was put in bar behind bars, it stopped, you know? Yes. So, um, you know, maybe the killer moved on, maybe they thought they got too close. You know, there's a lot of maybes in this case, but it seems like, you know, honestly it looks like they caught the boogeyman. But if you go to that area while well, the filmmakers were actually filming on the willowbrook ruins and they were filming things they found homeless people living in the tunnels they found elements of a cult that you know are on staten island and they did find uh kids sneaking into the grounds because they'd heard the stories of cropsy and they didn't even know andrew Rand or andre Rand. sorry
0: yeah they don't know the story of the real man behind
1: cropsy Somebody needs to come through the you know the the podcast wires and slap me every time I say Andrew. Uh, just it's because I've got a big Bioshock display over to the left.
0: <laughs> I think we we don't need to do any slapping, but Cropsey is definitely um, watch the documentary. It's riveting, but it's it's one of those things where you go, can we not repeat this? Can we not repeat oh, man. The ignoring God. of the victims, regardless of who the victims are, to bring them justice? Because that's what that group that still goes out and looks for the bodies they are trying to bring justice to them,
1: you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, the guy, he's definitely got a macabre psyche when you read his writings, it's you are looking into the minds of, of someone who is definitely, you know, not all there. So.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Anyway. Okay. I think, I think we all need to take a quick break.
1: Yeah, yeah, Let's let's take let's take five because you know these these dark rabbit holes are are, are not fun. So
0: and we're about to get unfortunately darker. So we will be mm. right back, travelers.
1: Erie Appalachia. Gear up for a frightful jaunt into the darkest reaches of the ancient Appalachians. Folks deep within the Appalachian hollers lean close to the campfire to share stories of the inexplicable with hushed awe. Monsters rumbling in the hills, strange lights darting through the pitch-black night sky, horrible occurrences almost ineffable in their bizarre tragedy. Tall tales, you might say. Tell that to the Flatwoods monster in Braxton County, West Virginia, or the Goatman of Louisville. Look into his humanoid eyes and let him know you don't believe. What are those apparitions in Mammoth Cave's Corpse Rock or the Satan Spawn known as the Jersey Devil? How do you respond when confronted by these mysteries? From the metaphysical energy that swirls near Serpent Mound in Ohio to Point Pleasant's Mothman Legacy, Mark Muncy and Carrie Schultz explore the dark history lurking in the shadows of Appalachia. Read by Mark Muncy, author and experts on strange folklore with appearances on shows such as Ancient Aliens, The Curse of Robert the Doll, and many, many more. Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. I work with haunted attractions all over the U.S., Canada, and Europe to increase audiences and enhance their experience with highly effective commercials, narrations, animatronic character voices, whatever your dark heart desires. Let me help you do more, scare more, profit more. Find out more at Voice From Hell on Facebook and at voicefromhell.com. So wow.
0: we're we're back down the rabbit hole. Thank I took a listen.
1: shower. I feel much better. So
0: <laughs> well, you're gonna need another one. So what? No. Yes, because I'm gonna talk about uh what is it? Norman Bates? No. What? Wait, Hannibal Lecter? No. no. Wait. Um, I'm actually gonna talk about what the originator of some of the horror stories that we all love as movies which is Ed Gein
1: oh Eddie
0: yes so for those that may not know who Ed Gein is he was um they call him a serial killer and you know the the definition of serial killer gets very very interesting but this is Edward Theodore Gein he was actually born August 27th 1906 mm. and he has a couple nicknames which is the butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield ghoul. Yes. And the reason he is called this is because um he ended up um doing several crimes but I'm going to get into how this all started. So there were people in this community. So he was up in um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And I say that because I grew I, I you know, my family's from Wisconsin. I didn't grow up there, but I lived there for a little bit. But there was a time period in this smaller community where people disappeared. And it wasn't like, you know, you see a lot of um Serial killers who target prostitutes, for instance, because they're sort of fringe. And a lot of times, you know, people aren't missing them right away and stuff like that. And no offense, they get into cars with strange people. So you keeping track of that, not that that justifies it at all. You you should not have violence, but it does make them easier prey for horrible people because of their line of work. The same is true with runaways and people who are homeless and stuff. It's the fringes of society, which it shouldn't be, that need more protection. But up in this very small community, there were some people that disappeared. There was a little bit of a, a boogeyman type situation until November of November 16th of 1957, there was a 58-year-old Plainfield Hardware store owner named Bernice Warden disappeared. Now, there was a festival in town that day, but um, what happened was somebody went in um, to the hardware store and it was deer hunting season, right? So um, it didn't see a lot of people, but when People went in that that evening around 5 p.m. They found the cash register open. Bernice was gone, and there were blood stains on the floor. Now, a good sign. N- these are never good signs. Um, Frank Warden, who is Bernice's son, told the um investigators that were looking because it's a missing persons at this point that the evening before their mother's disappearance. And Ed Gein came into the store and he was supposed to return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. So the last sale in this store, in this cash register, was for the gallon of antifreeze. Mm. So that night, Ed Gein was arrested on suspicion of having something to do with bernice's disappearance right right what they found when they went to his property literally changed everything and i'm not saying that there weren't terrible people before this there was jack the ripper all of this right but this was a small community
1: all these other famous yeah
0: yeah, very small community and when they got to the house they found Bernice decapitated in a shed on Gene's property hung upside down with her legs on a crossbar and her torso dressed out like a deer. So, what that means is he had strung her up, disembowelled, emptied her insides and was bleeding her out like you would When you hunt a
1: deer. Yeah. Terrifying.
0: It's terrifying, but worse is when they go into his house, they find a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chairs, Mm. skulls on his bedposts, female skulls that were made into bowls. Mm -hmm. human skin a corset made from a female's torso shoulders to waist leggings made from human skin masks from the head of females there was a person named mary hogan they found her face mask in a paper bag Her skull in a box. They found Bernice's head in a burlap sack. Her heart. Bernice's heart. In a plastic bag at the front of a stove. They found nine vulva. Which is part of the female in a shoe box. A young girl's dress. More vulva. A belt made of human nipples. Yes.
1: That's the four thing.
0: noses. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. A lampshade made of humans' faces. And fingernails from human fingers. Oh.
1: He was a busy boy.
0: He was. Mary Hogan was a tavern homeowner that disappeared December 8, 1954.
1: Mm. And now, you know, and if I recall, we're not a hundred percent certain how many of these he killed himself. We know a few, but he was also had access to the nearby cemetery, which is why he had gotten the ghoul
0: name. Exactly, he was actually found to have gone to that cemetery and dug up over forty bodies. Yeah, there are approximately. Eight people they think he may have killed, but they don't have evidence of that. He's just suspected of it.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, you know, he was very much a waste, not want, not. And no, a, yeah.
0: and he was found to have been eating them. And one of the reasons he was so scary and inspired psycho was because his mother died. Yep. Yeah. And he kept her upstairs on a bed yep. decomposing.
1: That's where our boy Norman Bates comes from. Yeah. You know. And then wearing the skin and all that is where Leatherface comes from. And then of course uh Buffalo Bob from Buffalo Bill. Uh, Buffalo Bill from uh uh from Zion of the Lambs and then and then even further into Hannibal they did it a couple more times using some Eddie's uh stuff And uh, there's even there's there's other movies, including one called Gein that was about Gein, but they 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 change them all for the screen and for the books. But, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty terrible, all the things they do.
0: But his case was interesting from the fact that it very much inspired the horror that we see today.
1: It inspired the modern slasher, definitely
0: absolutely and they think he cannibalized and ate parts of them Mm -hmm. and he admitted to crimes and then said he didn't remember those crimes no they did find that he had a very below average intelligence and intellect there were a lot of things that happened losses on his farm and with his family Mm -hmm. but i you know if you read the accounts from the officers that had to go into that place because not only it wasn't kept in pristine condition, it was like a hoarder's house.
1: Yeah. And on it,
0: top of it.
1: Yeah. And um they um most recently a friend of the friend of the show, Eric Powell, who creates uh the Goon comic, uh, which he's a self-taught artist and all that, he did a Kickstarter because he wanted to do a true graphic novel of the Ed Gein story, and um, I just got it literally, you know, uh, right before we moved, and I had thought I had mispacked it somewhere because I hadn't found it, and then right before we did this episode, I found it, and I haven't even had a chance to really crack the spine yet, but uh, the art in it is amazing. And uh, from his previous work, I can guarantee that it is going to be riveting once I sit down. And that is, uh, did you hear what Eddie Gein done? And it's from the accounts and such. And, uh, you know, some from 1957, you know, you can't go wrong. And uh, man, the book is available at Albatross Press Books, uh, albatrossfunnybooks.com. You can order it direct from Eric and I'm i'm certain you it is well worth your your money i have one of the signed editions thankfully from the kickstarter so
0: yeah and i'll i'll tell you you know um i th- i think if you go down the rabbit hole there's a couple documentaries and many shows about Gein. oh yeah and you know you talk about prolific serial killers and stuff i think with him the reason it was different kind of like cropsey was people were just disappearing
1: yeah, they were just well, there was a it was a boogeyman, you know, somebody was something coming. out on the farm was getting them. And the, I think even at one point they they suspected that it was a uh, uh a wild man in the woods, you know, that was yeah. nearby. So
0: and I think could
1: could be taking these people. So
0: well, and I think you know, back both of these were a time where you didn't want to think that there's a human that's doing this like mm-hmm. this, you know. Um you know, I know with the kids in the Cropsy, they thought they were just wandering off. Yeah. Um. You know, they had stories for where some of these people did and the pursuant of it. The only reason Ed was stopped at all was because the son came forward and said, wait, no, this was the last person who was here. Yeah. Here's the last receipt we had. You know, if there wasn't blood, if there wasn't things like that, also when they, they found him, he denied anything happening at all.
1: Yeah, no, don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, he denied it happening. It was only when they literally found the body on his property that, you know, you can't deny it anymore. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that. But it's interesting to think that here's somebody who took so many people, you know, he took like seven people. That they believe. He was never convicted, so I'm going to put believe in quotation marks. But however many people he took, he took them before anybody realized. And this was happening, and they were talking about these people because there was a younger kid, there was another gentleman. This was not like, they're only taking, you know, nuns from monasteries on the third Tuesday of each month, you know? It's like, so it you know, there are real boogeymen out there. You should be careful regardless of where you go, whether you're in town, in nature, in the fields, like be aware of your surroundings, make sure people know where you are, make sure people know what you're doing so that you do not run into these real life boogeymen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. These are, uh, um, these are crazy things that, um, uh... You know, we, you know, we, we, and, and, and think about all the mother issues we just discussed, you know, Ed Gein had mother issues and, um, our, our boy Rand from Cropsey, he writes Mother's Day letters. That's the only time he writes everybody is Mother's Day's letters. And, uh, there's, there's lots and lots of issues. And then of course our favorite, you know, fictionalized version of Eddie, uh, my favorite is, I, 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 there are people who have. Texas Chainsaw, I love my leather face, but I go psycho. And that's because I worked on Psycho 4 as an intern sound kid and got to work I, with the great Norman Bates. uh I anthology.
0: go Buffalo Bill, Hannibal Lecter, because that Sons of the Lambs, I mean,
1: yeah.
0: that I think was, you know, you look at the psychology of it and they like to blame mothers and all this other stuff, but there's definitely a whole nurture versus nature conversation that you can have and was it because of how they were raised or were they already killers when they came out of the womb you know
1: yeah and that's you know that's that's you know we get that is i mean it's so crazy how that that works right so
0: yeah i i will say this i think there's definitely an interesting thing when you go down the rabbit hole which we will cover because i am going to talk about some of the other killers zodiac's going to be up on the List, which will probably be in november once we get past through spooky, season. spooky but, season um i think it's interesting because i think once you are successful at killing somebody these people who are predisposed to go in that direction this is my belief i have no training or anything like that just having watched and read a tremendous amount of true crime but i think kind of like anything when you get away with doing it, it on some even subconscious level, it acknowledges that you had that win, that experience and that you were able to be successful at it. So some part of you goes, okay, you were successful at it. You could do it again. And the moment you do it again and are successful at it, regardless of whether you think it's evil or know it's wrong or any of these things, you know, the fact that you're not, um put in a danger yourself from trying to do it, it it heightens it, I think. And I think it makes it easier for them to continue. But yes. So our two boogeymen, Mark, Cropsy and Gene.
1: They're they're they you will know, uh you know Rand and Gein are definitely, you know, crazy and you know they both are you know got kind of what they deserve uh, at some point uh, whether you, you know you believe the medicine or not we'd love to hear your opinion on that so please you know drop us a line at eerie travels.com and let us know who's your boogeyman did did your town have a boogeyman turned out to be real I, one of my favorites the town that dreaded sundown we haven't even talked about that or some of these other ones that are coming up so uh we'll, oh, we'll talk more so
0: so much more to keep our listeners either terrified or entertained one of the two
1: Yeah, yep, yep, and uh, so travelers, as always, thanks for joining us on this uh, scary tale. Uh, One thing
0: we do have a travel though.
1: Oh, we do. That's right. I
0: completely forgot. The crime museum where you can go see. Mark. Yes.
1: Yeah. Over in Pigeon Forge, we've mentioned it before. Uh, Go to Alcatraz East, and it is the was the Washington D.C. crime museum. And now that collection, it's the Adam Walsh collection. So yeah, you know, we'll have to talk about that at some point too. Um, but uh that is where they have tons and tons of true crime collect, you know, collectibles, if you will. They've got, you know, the Bronco from OJ, they've got Ted Bundy's car, they've got the bloody boards from the cabin where Billy the Kid was killed, uh, and so much more Gacy paintings, stuff like that, the typewriters that so many of them have used and they have an Ed Gein thing that I think you should see. So I'm going to leave that as a special. So when you go visit, you'll see it. So, but uh, you can also go visit Willowbrook. They do have tours uh, for the grounds. I recommend going with the tour group rather than trying to go explore on your own. We also recommend highly that you help out with the friends of Jennifer And we will put links to all that in the notes Um, and you can even help volunteer search the Willowbrook estate for um, you know, the missing kids. So
0: absolutely, absolutely. So, well, I don't know how else to end this with our travelers, my friend.
1: Well, I just would like to remind everybody that a boy's best friend is his mother. And... (laughs) (laughs) And with that, Ladies and gentlemen, travelers, and all of our wonderful, as uh, Dick Derhune says, greetings mortals and others. We will see you on the other side.